0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Guys, I have some sad news. This is the last time I'm going to remind you about the Helpful Marriage Conference. I know, I know, it's tough to take, but there is a silver lining. It means that we will be together this Friday, that's tomorrow, in Indianapolis, enjoying a fantastic weekend together. The teaching, the food, the fellowship, it's going to be great. If you haven't registered yet, you still can. Head on over to helpfulmarriage.com to register. We really would love to see you there. I'm also thrilled to announce that we will have copies of Tim's new book on marriage available at the conference. So if you come to the conference, you'll be able to buy a copy hot off the presses before anyone else. Now, today we talk about companionship in marriage. Marriage is a mission and a man and a wife cannot be two ships passing in the night if they hope to complete the mission with any success. Two ships passing in the night is not Christian marriage. So today in our conversation, we try to give our listeners a vision of sweet companionship in Christian marriage. My guests for today's episode are Max Carell and Tim Bailey. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. Well, hello, gentlemen. Hey, Max. Thank you for being here. Hello, Lucas. Hey, Tim. Hi, Lucas. Hi. Hear, I'm doing well. How are you? Very good, thank you. I, I hear you having some trouble driving, staying on the road recently.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, I just... Drove off the driveway here and made <laughs> two pronounced ruts in Max's grass. So we're off to a good start. We're off here. to a good start. <laughs> and, and I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid me. I should have realized how hot and warm it was, but I got I put on my coat, you saw, and I just was thinking that it was cold out. You yeah, know, you know, so it's February. going to be hard. And, maybe it's winter still. But it's actually very warm and wet, so it was very stupid.
0: Yeah, it's been raining quite a lot. So it's an Indiana, Indiana, Indiana winter, I guess. Which never gets cold. It just spits <laughs> at you. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, well, yeah, we're off to a good start. Today, I wanted to talk about what, I guess in the draft version of your book uh, is chapter 12. She is your companion. I don't know if that's going to be the actual title, but it's about companionship. So I want to read a quote from it and then let you react to your own words. How do we cultivate a marriage like the marriage of Aquila and Priscilla that blesses others? How do we work toward a marriage that is capable of natural relations with others in the church who are pleased to spend time with us and listen to our counsel? The answer is to grow together in intimacy, not just sexually, but emotionally, intellectually, and doctrinally, to become true companions. I thought that that was a pretty good summation of the chapter. What would you add to that if you were going to try to sum up the chapter, sum up what your main point is, what you're trying to get across?
1: Well, the context for that statement is actually the story of Priscilla and Aquila instructing Apollos. Okay. Okay. And people wouldn't know that when you read it. They'd say, well, why do you want to have other couples listen to you in the church? And what's this about? And in thinking about this chapter and companionship, I find that there are a lot of things that we take for granted about marriage. My wife and I and you and Annie, Max, and you and Hannah, because the Lord has been pleased to give them to us. And I think a lot of times we don't realize how difficult it is for other people in their marriages because god has not given those things to them okay what things are you talking about well it's almost painful to talk about it because you don't want to create mourning and grief in people listening but one of them is affection and mutual affection and Mm. physical affection Mm -hmm. if you look at our three marriages it's clear that we have a natural affection for each other mm-hmm. <clears throat> in our marriages, our husbands and wives. And you can see it with the little gestures, mm-hmm. the body language. And a lot of people have extreme difficulty with that. Mm. And I don't want to go into that today. That mm, affection that's a very, yeah. and then another thing is companionship. I mean, mm-hmm. you just look at the way us, the three of us and our wives, just, It doesn't mean we don't fight and don't have difficulties, but we just enjoy each other, Mm -hmm. you know? So, in thinking about that, marriage can't be work all the time that is difficult. Nobody Mm -hmm. can survive that. There's got to be grease in the wheels. There has to be joy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the old story about you can't avoid sin simply by saying no to it. You have to say yes to its opposite. Mm -hmm. And so you can't say no to the fear of man without saying yes to the fear of God. Mm -hmm. Yes is always much stronger than no. And so Jesus sums up the second table of the law, saying, "Love your neighbor as you love yourself." I had a situation this last week where
2: <laughs> my
1: neighbor just sort of came unglued <laughs> when we had a number of guests over, and uh, and I had just preached on loving our neighbors, and uh, you really do have to find reasons to do what is good it's not enough to avoid doing what is bad so when it comes to marriage if you want to make love sweetly if you want to raise happy children contented children again i'm not saying good children i'm saying happy children Mm -hmm. healthy children there has to be companionship between the husband and wife because really sex comes out of companionship that's one thing that we say in the chapter on sex You know, you're not going to have good sex if you just want to be erotic Mm. because erotic actually isn't erotic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's sort of, you know. And so in thinking about companionship, what we thought about was the story of Priscilla and Aquila because it typifies, it's a perfect illustration of an intimacy that people don't notice in scripture Mm -hmm. and it's sideways, it's, it's shocking. And it's always been shocking. It was shocking to Calvin. Calvin makes the comment about that story of Priscilla and Aquila taking Apollos, who was mighty in the word, taking him aside and correcting him. And Calvin says, what humility Apollos had that he was willing to be instructed and corrected. And then he adds, and by a woman. Mm. Well, it's clear that Priscilla and Aquila do it together. Hmm. Okay. And so they both saw the errors and they must have talked about them when they were lying in bed or when they were driving on vacation. I don't think they did that then, but who knows? Who knows? Was, I've never actually lived back then. They may had <laughs> cars. And so that's the reason for that statement that we have to cultivate companionship mm-hmm. and it, it's work, but it's a delightful
2: work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. David. Yeah, I'm thinking about Priscilla and Aquila, you said as they're laying in bed talking about it or when they're on vacation. and I, The fact that they had in common, well, you could say, well, they had their love for Jesus in common. They had being reconciled to God in common. But they had more than that. They had doctrinal truth in common. They had theology in common. They had... And, and it doesn't come just, well, it could be that she would have learned it and that he would have learned it and that they both knew some of the same things, but it's obvious in the text that they were actually giving themselves to talking about those things together. So I, I think
0: this chapter is all about how to have that companionship, how to kindle that companionship and foster it. And I want to get to some of the practical steps uh, that you talk about in this chapter at the end, I want to end with that. But but first, I think it's I want to I want to try to wade through some devil's advocate kind mm-hmm. of kind of opposition. How is this different than squishy evangelicals who talk about servant leadership? Companionship is naturally it's what the woman wants. She wants to talk. She wants to. No,
1: that's not true. Okay, women don't want companionship. What they want is comfort and physical touch, and they want to talk at you. They want to control the conversation. They want you to validate what they have gone through and what they're thinking. Women want validation. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be critical of your wife or mine.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm chuckling because there's a couple different directions I wanted to go in that question. They, they want to be validated. So, in other
1: words, you're saying they don't actually. Yeah. I think if you pick a marriage apart, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. since we both tend to be selfish, yeah. if what's being sought isn't true companionship, the man is yapping about this, that, and the other thing, or being quiet, mm-hmm. all right? And the yep. woman is yapping about this, that, 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 Both of them tend to be selfish yep. in how they seek companionship, mm-hmm, all right? Mm-hmm. And so when you say, well, being a servant leader, you know, it is true that Jesus on, in the upper room showed us how to love one another by being our servant. But that's never what anybody means by a servant. Leader. Right. What I'm talking about is, again, I, I. Let me add one more thing. The reason I reject that in a discussion of companionship is that servant leader is always a claim of superiority. It's always a claim of superiority. Mm because it is always noblesse oblige. It is always the leader lowering himself mm-hmm. okay. and
2: serving
1: the person under him. And that's not what I'm talking about when we talk about companionship. Ah, okay. We are equal, mm. and we are mutual in our interests, and the husband has to lead that equality. I. I so many husbands will, like, pat their wife on the head, not not literally. Right, right. Nice, nice, They'll nice. Patronize them. Yeah, yeah, nice. Oh, sweetie, would you like to go out to dinner tonight? Oh, sweetie, mm. would you like us to have a family night? Yeah. Oh, sweetie, would you like to do a puzzle? <laughs> you know, what would make you happy, sweetie? And that's not companionship. I mean, I'm not saying you should never do that, but can we have faith? that God made us one for a mission, not for our feelings and enjoyment, but for a mission Mm. that sex has a mission and marriage has a mission. Now, immediately in Malachi, it says for the propagation of a God we see. Mm -hmm. So we know part of the mission is to have children who will glorify God. He wants the world filled with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that's not what we're talking to about today. We're talking about companionship, and that is a mission, and we know it because Priscilla and Aquila together instructed, and you see how much of Scripture demonstrates the mutuality of mission that God gives a particular home. How about Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth? How about Joseph and Mary? How about Abraham and Sarah? You know, all through scripture, we have a mutual mission of of individual homes. What was Abraham thinking when the Lord accused his wife of laughing in the tent and she denied it? Hmm. You know, we don't have a lot of women's stories alone. right? But- they're everywhere in scripture. Hmm. And so when it comes to Priscilla and Aquila, that presents us a necessary, let me put it like this. In the Western world today, everything's about entertainment. Yeah, And so when it comes to marriages in the church, it's all about entertainment. And so you try to find an entertainment that you can both share, and that's as high as companionship goes. Mm-hmm. But it's still cotton candy. It's still yeah. It's not um, well. It's interesting what
0: you're describing. It's almost like what you you're looking for is a band of brothers, but a, like without a death. <laughs> no, but 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 for a marriage.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, yeah. But w- band of brothers they actually had a mission. They had a right. So what are your what's your point? Well, I don't get the, it.
0: we have the my point is that the band of brothers is is honoring and raising up that ties between those men in on that mission
1: that is my point i don't know i get i get it's on a mission that because it's like everybody wants to have the unity that comes from a mission without having a mission okay you can't have band of brothers without death blood Mm. sweat and tears truth falsehood right and wrong right fighting but that's what I'm saying. Band yeah, of brothers. help me. Help me.
0: It, in other words, what you're arguing for is to take all of the things that we love and cherish about a band of brothers in, you know, World War II or whatever. Oh, okay. And that's what we're going for in yes, a marriage. Yes, That's absolutely. what we're going for between Isn't, a man and a woman. Yeah, Isn't I'm that sorry. what
2: we're saying when we make our vows, though. Mm. That's the mission. It's the commitment that attends the mission. Cherish. Sickness and in health. mm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Richer, poorer, love and cherish for, for, better, better, for better for better, worse, worse. Yeah. until yeah. death. Yeah. And so it's forsaking this, all of this. And so you have this, this is the mission. Well, the mission, this is the commitment. This is the vow and the vow enters you in on the road and the road. Who knows what the road will, the course, the road will take. Yes. Children, Lord willing. Yes. Children. That's what the, first thing he says. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after that, every other thing you do, what What about those children and their marriages and what help they need? And what about those children's children mm-hmm. and their help that they need? And, mm-hmm. and on and on you go until it, you keep working this mission together. You're first, your mission is a husband and wife. Then your mission is parents, mother and father. Mm-hmm. Then your mission is mother-in-law and father-in-law. Then your mission is grandpa and grandma and then their mission is maybe Lord willing great grandpa and great grandma and you just keep going but but under all those things is your love and commitment to God to giving him glory with everything that you do but you have the joy of doing it together with somebody Mm. else and maybe you'll get to do what Aquila and Priscilla got to do you should you should have some opportunity even if it's not a polis but it's some neighbor who sits in your house at your table and you talk to them about the Lord and your wife says, yeah, then let me tell you this about the Lord and what he has done.
1: Right before I came over, I finished writing a letter to a man who is known all across my former denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. He was a moderator of General Assembly. And he just took a public stand that is lengthy, that's written And he demonstrated his unfaithfulness to the truths of scripture in that statement. Hmm. He's a good friend of a friend of mine who's a pastor in that denomination. When Mary Lee got home, she had been out working this morning with the women of uh, the pastor's college, New Geneva Academy, and various other things. And when she walked in, as soon as she walked in, I said, hey, lover, come on in here, would you please? So she came in, she sat down, I said, I want to read to you what I just wrote. Well, I wrote, read her a letter that I write a letter like this about once a year. Hmm. And when I get done writing it and read it to her, both of our hair is plastered straight backwards <laughs> on our head because it is a letter saying to him, Badly done. Yeah. Badly done. And, you know, I say in there that he has betrayed the sheep of God hmm. and that he knows the truth, but that everybody's lying about this today and he's decided. And then I end it by saying, you know, I know you know all these things. In other words, I had spent about a thousand words explaining the details quoting, you know, doing the necessary work. But then at the end, I said, I know you know all these things. I said, "Uh, there will come a day of accounting for you, Mm. and it will not go well. And then I said, my father used to say that every man is building his kingdom. Mm. So this is a man that's climbed to the top of his denomination, right? Yeah. But my father also used to say that truth and time walk hand in hand. Mm. It may be that lies are popular among everybody in the PCA today. It may be that nobody is willing to stand for the truth, but the accounting will come. Now, people listening think, well, what was it about? And what did you say? And, and who was it? And all this other stuff. That's not my point. My point is, that's my calling in work. Mm-hmm. It was my father's calling in work. Mm-hmm. And I have now a lifetime behind me of following the pattern of my mother and father and sharing everything that they did. My dad wrote, read every article he wrote for eternity, for 25 years out loud, not just to my mother, but to his kids. Hmm. And so now I'm still doing this. Mm-hmm. Most of my sermons I've preached, I've I've read them to my wife. Saturday night late or early Sunday morning before I give them and asked her. Uh, and it, it is more often the case that I make changes because of her suggestions when I get done reading them. Now, people can say, well, you know, I'm not a pastor and I don't write. and yeah. But I want you to understand, do you think that a woman enjoys listening to a letter that leaves her with her hair plastered <laughs> straight back on her head? All she's sitting there thinking is, oh, my goodness. Do you have to alienate him? Mm. That's what every woman is wired to say. And then Mary Lee will always say, it's not going to do any good. I mean, mm. I've heard that tens of thousands of times from my <laughs> wife, and I agree with her. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. Now, my reason for bringing this up is that in every one of our lives as husbands, we have a mission that God has given us a calling. Mm. all right and either we make common with our wife asking her to discipline herself to join our mission and help us in it Mm -hmm. or we live a plastic life of sweetie pie would you like to have a game tonight well sweetie pie this that and the other side and being a servant leader and i I'm saying God has called the home to be fruitful.
0: Well, and the other option is to be resentful and to act like your, uh, you know, second in command is just a dead weight.
1: But that's awful. It is awful. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely awful. And mo- maybe most pastors do that, yeah. and that's why most pastors' kids are pastors' kids, <laughs> <Very> <laughs> because true. you've lived with a fire wall in between the the wonderful church of god mm. and your home yeah. and you love your home better and you try to protect it from the church mm-hmm. i mean my goodness that's so bad
0: mm-hmm. it's so bad but it's not just the church i mean you can th- see that firewall develop in all kinds of situations well
1: where... okay name them i think immediately if you work in a union mm and mm-hmm. so you can cultivate in your home a bitterness mm-hmm. towards management right. towards anybody that's in a position of authority because you're a union man and you have union brothers and so yeah it is possible for husbands to have the home as a place of retreat rather than as a center of mission mm-hmm. but that's a certain way of of corrupting your home yeah i'm not saying a home isn't a castle Right, right. But a castle usually has a purpose.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's that is the difficult challenge: is getting your home, having your home as it develops through the years to be the, the place of mission, yeah, and having mm. everybody on everybody on task for that. The, everybody in the family is on task for that, and what you how how you how a husband and a wife demonstrate their agreement. Their solidarity in doing the work of the kingdom, with their home, with everything that they have, without without being stingy. That's that is the work. Or that's or, how you go at it.
0: Or you know, overly rigid. You know, if this is the the point is the mission, um, then you know who does what work. It's like you know there will be just you know separation of duties no just because of that's the way it works out but you're going to be a christian about how you decide those things yeah
2: but isn't that going to flow out of your love for the other right I, if you think about it it's if if it's not going to flow out of your love for the other i guess second the the second reason would be you know that you would be practical mm you know, well, we've just, we only have this much energy, honey. And so, yep, I see that you drained the battery down to <laughs> 30%, and there's going to need to be 45% before a small group arrives on Sunday. And so, we, well, okay, then I see. But now, I love you. Let me do this mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. do that and and then we'll be ready for the group mm-hmm. to come and then boy we'll have the fun we have because we always enjoy God's people being there, you know. Those you know,
1: you know it's very excuse me. It's very interesting about Priscilla and Aquila that it's clear that she took the lead in correcting Apollos. <laughs> and it's clear because earlier in the book it mentions Aquila and Priscilla and then it flips the names. And so you read commentators and they say that indicates that she was taking the lead. Some people say that she had more wealth and was sort of a patroness, you know. Mm. But I think they're right in saying that she took the lead. And I I don't know how to cast this vision for people who aren't pastors Mm. and aren't writers and preachers and stuff like that. But I think anybody that has an inclination, if they work in a machine shop, if they work on the railroad, if they work as a farmer, I don't think it's difficult to apply what we're talking about in our homes to every home. And I want us, I want Max you to talk about how often you and I talk on the phone about a particular problem. And typically what happens is we're talking about difficult things in the church because we can't be getting together all the time. We have to talk on the phone. And tell them about Annie.
2: Yeah, so as we talk on the phone, we uh, sometimes we're on speakerphone, sometimes we're not. Sometimes, uh, but always in case of my house, and I think in Tim's house too, I know in Tim's house because of the interactions that come through the line, Uh, sometimes my wife is listening to my side of the conversation and she's hearing and hearing and hearing and and all of a sudden she'll just start chiming in. And then I've got to interpret (laughs) her -hmm. thoughts to Tim and then, and then he comes back and then Mary Lee says something back there. Maybe we're on speakerphone Mm -hmm. and everybody's talking and everybody's listening. Right. Mm. And I think that if that's what you were talking yeah. about, the fact that we live and need our wives and the, the, the scope and the breadth of their uh, knowledge and understanding of what's going on in the church, is it, it's just a indispensable gift mm. to God's work.
1: Yeah, earlier we were talking about wanting it. And I was thinking, well, it's not just that we wanted? it, it's also that we desperately need it. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah, seriously. Yeah, 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 that's exactly I right. I mean, yeah. I am constantly asking for Mary Lee's input about decisions, about this family, about this marriage.
0: Well, and so this actually comes up against something that's very difficult for young couples, young men who are just recently married, to be able to figure out where your wife is superior to yourself <laughs> And not have that be intimidating or... Because you know you're thinking in your in your mind, like, I know I'm supposed to lead. And so I think I'm supposed to be the one who's supposed to be good at this or make this decision or something. And so it'll feel like you're failing if you ask your wife or... I don't, you know. I don't well, know. another
1: thing is often when I ask for Mary Lee's input, I get angry at her and start yelling at her. You know, well, you never and you always and you never and you always. You You're know? not supposed to say that, Tim. I know I'm not supposed to say it, but there is no way of being companions uh, without fighting.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because
1: after all, she's trying to redirect me. That's the nature of help. <laughs> yeah. Help typically corrects. Yeah. And I have a lot to be corrected, and I don't always receive it nicely, (laughs) you
0: know. They'll like it very much sometimes. Well, yeah, it's very difficult for all of us as men, but uh, I was thinking in particular young men trying to figure out how to
2: do this leadership thing. Annie, Annie, this morning, just made some observation. And it was, I don't want to call it a throwaway, but in the sense that it was just like where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't about me, thankfully, but it was very incisive mm-hmm. and and direct and complete. Mm. And I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I didn't think that first. (laughs) 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 What a so chauvinist pig! It was yeah, no, no, it was hilarious because I thought, (laughs) man, that was so good. Yeah, that was so incredibly helpful. And it was just like, okay, you are you done with your eggs? Here's this, and then okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was thinking earlier about how many people finally discover that God made Adam first and then Eve. And it's cataclysmic because it goes against everything that they've learned in their church. And all of a sudden they wake up and say, wait, you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to lead? You mean to tell me that I have authority over my wife? Are you serious? (laughs) You show it to them in scripture. Well, then everything is a matter of them feeling the need to exercise their leadership muscles, right? right? Right. And we see that in the church i had somebody complaining to me sunday about the fact that in our church we have young women who who are very bright and who are not seeming to care about going on and growing intellectually you know through mm. school through degrees or stuff like that and we've hit this before in this podcast but and i said to them you know i really don't know that there is any way of recovering the creation order of Adam first and then Eve without going too far in the direction of compliance and Barney mm-hmm. Fifeism. And, you know, and I said, I think that Mary Lee and I have had a wonderful privilege of seeing very competent women, very competent women, with very competent men, with tension regularly. And with the woman not having the domain of domesticity and relegated into children and household, it's not to say that that, those weren't their priorities. They were committed to being domestic, but Mom Taylor, for many, many years, ran accounts payable for a very large company that she and her husband owned. Interestingly, he owned 51%, and mm-hmm. she owned 49%. Yeah. It was specified. And my mother and my father, the same thing. You know, they both together were the first staff workers for IV at her varsity in New England, mm. both of them. So Mary Lee and I have had a model of Husbands who knew that their wives had contributions that they needed in finances, in planning, in what they set as their projects for working, I'm now needing to start the next book. Mm. And I wake up every morning, lie in bed, usually at least half an hour, thinking, what should I write next? What should Mm -hmm. I write next? Well, the first person I talk to is Mary Mm Lee. What do you think I should do? What would you like? And one of the books, The Grace of Shame, I never would have finished it if it hadn't been Mary Lee just harassing me, (laughs) saying, you have to finish that book. And it wasn't because I wasn't willing to write. It was because I didn't want to publish a book that would, you know— criticize eminent celebrities because i knew that i'd be more hated than mm. i already was so and mary lee had a vision for that so we need to be careful to not have an artificial understanding mm. of leadership that keeps us from recognizing and embracing the wisdom of our wives yep. yep so there's a there's a
0: opposite air that I think I, I want to talk about because, uh, and I said this, I think I might have said this last week, the um, I, I feel like we are getting close to almost a post-feminist age. I mean, I don't know for sure, but the manosphere, as it's called, is blossoming. Seems like the pagans are waking up to the reality of male headship. And it's Devolving into simply a battle of the sexes that's really, truly horrific. Nevertheless, I think that the question (laughs) on that side of the road that I want to ask is okay, but all this companionship stuff, I mean, it feels to me like you're adding to the commands of scripture. I provide faithfully for my wife and children. I don't deny my wife any of her conjugal rights. I mean, I'm, I'm faithful in my church to attendance, and I teach my children scripture. Like, what's, what's the deal here? You know, um, men are men, and women are women, and why do you place such a strong emphasis on, on companionship?
1: Well, right away we have the example of Priscilla and Aquila. And doesn't that make you jealous? They work together. Mm. They made tents together. They were tent makers together. I wonder whether anybody listening has grown up on a farm or runs a farm. Back when I was in 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 Wisconsin, a lot of my people were the people I served were farmers, and I noticed that back then, at that time, the counterculture was into the same agrarianism it's into today in the reformed world. The reformed world always follows the culture by mm. about twenty years, and so everybody was talking about you know, the, the the family farm. Everybody wanted the family farm to survive. They didn't want factory farms. They didn't want large farms. They wanted the family farm. And, of course, it was all about diversity, biodiversity. It was all about, you know, appropriate technology. It was all, you know, it was all about small is better, small is beautiful, you know, Bucky Fuller, all this stuff. And I watched the families in my church, and one in particular. Nah. I think I think there were a number of them that showed this. And I wanted to write an article saying, yes, the liberals and the environmentalists are right. We need to protect the family farm. But what I was going to say is we need to protect the family farm because it's the one place left in the western world where you see a natural work relationship of husband and wife together. Hmm. And you see it it's so organic, it's so natural. And it is separation of responsibilities. You know, like on a family farm, the man is never to get on the lawn tractor and mm-hmm. cut the grass, mm. never. That is the wife's job and she's jealous for it. I mean, I've, I've had farm mothers, women tell me how, how they do not want their husband cutting the grass, okay? Which is really funny. And then the husbands do have the wives come out and 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 you know do the combine, do the do the do the plowing. Although typically it's not plowing, usually the man does it. But lots of times the wife does the books. She applies for the federal programs. Right. Um, she comes out and helps milking. Mm. And so the kids grow up watching companionship. Mm. On the family farm. That was the norm among the the families. I don't know, David, if you want to address this.
2: Yeah, I, I think, yes, it was the norm. And you still see it in some places. And the thing that, one of the things that works against this today is the way that we're the way that we're set up with two income families outside of the home.
0: Oh yeah. Two separate spheres of work entirely.
2: So if if the, if the family farm is a unit that actually allows for that kind of interaction between a husband and wife, common mission to to do, yeah, this is our business. Yeah. Right now he has this business over here and she has that business over there. They both work for Mm -hmm. corporations or companies or, or just different uh, employers mm. in different places or the same employer on two different shifts. And you realize that that whole thing is, it has changed mm. and it really does require some sense of, uh, uh, intentionality to come back to that in our marriages to, to, uh, to see it and to address it, the mm. threat of the way that we're spread apart husbands and wives are spread apart. You can see it all over the place in the adulteries and in the, in the sexual uh, encounters that happen in workplaces among married people, but not with one another. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly they have camaraderie with somebody, hmm. but the somebody isn't their spouse. Yep. And so we have to see this to recognize, to have a, 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 an ability to protect ourselves from that type of thing happening And then find ways that we can, with our our spouses, that we can actually get uh, on mission together. Mm -hmm.
1: So you ask, isn't it enough to have conjugal relations, him to provide, her to take care of the children, stuff like that. Yeah. That is not, absolutely not Christian marriage. Mm. It is not Christian marriage. Now, you can find that a lot. How would you... Where would you point to that in scripture? Well, I'll point to it. I could go on forever about where to point to <laughs> yeah. on that. But let me go to um let me go to Proverbs two, which I was reading this morning. And it mm-hmm. says here, and this is just where I'm reading in scripture right now. It it talks in Proverbs two about its warning against the adulteress. Okay. Mm. Yep. And it says you listen to wisdom and it will help you to avoid this and that and the other thing the devious and then it says it will deliver you from the strange woman from the adulteress who flatters with her words Hmm. that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her god i thought it was so interesting i'd never noticed before that it speaks of the horror of the adulteress that she leaves the companion of her youth and and forsakes the covenant of God. Hmm. And what a horrible thing to say about a woman, Mm -hmm. that she leaves the companion of her youth. Mm -hmm. And so here we see just this very, very sweet description about what marriage is. Marriage is not leaving the companion (laughs) of your youth. And so she must be, The companion. (laughs) And what is a companion? A companion is somebody that you do want to walk with. Mm -hmm. You know, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, those aren't companions. Mm -hmm. And so you take walks. David, tell them about the walks
2: you take. Yeah, we often take walks. Well, we hadn't done it for a while because it's been so cold. Yeah. We actually just did this past Monday morning, took a nice walk. And it's just time we walk along and. And talk and try to figure out what <laughs> speed to walk at, and you know what yep. what trails are too muddy. And it happened to be that it was still frozen, so we could walk on normal trails. It was nice, nice. So,
1: so what? Is, but let me read one more. Okay, okay. So in Proverbs five, it says, "Drink water from your own cistern." Well, does that sound like we have conjugal relations <laughs> and she takes care of the children? Well. Water from your own cistern. Water in the the Near East is soothing and cold. And it's your cistern, and it it conjures up all kinds of delight. Home. Not just home, it's satisfying. Mm. Water is satisfying. Fresh water from your own well. Fresh water. So your wife is fresh water from your own well, Mm. okay? should your springs be dispersed abroad streams of water in the in the streets mm. okay well that's the good part that you have to contribute to conjugal relations and it's not simply excuse me but right that it's actually your caresses mm-hmm. it's actually your eyes delighting it's it's everything you see in song of solomon and then it says let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you, let the fountain be blessed. Mm. All this language is companionship. Well, and it makes me think of actually Song of Solomon. Like, how can
0: you have that if we're just, you know. Red pill and MGTOW. Co- co- conjugal rights. Yeah, like, I fulfilled yeah, my conjugal yeah. rights. You're not going to have that.
1: And then it says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Mm-hmm. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Hmm. Now, listen, this is not just don't commit your yeah. don't look at pornography. Yeah. This is all the way that we avoid adultery is
2: that we delight in our wife that she's our companion that we I was thinking about Nabal and Abigail and I was thinking are they the opposite of Aquila and Priscilla I don't think they're the opposite mm-hmm. but they are an interesting study at this point because oil yeah because Nabal wasn't stupid mm he had thousands of animals, and he was very, very wealthy. Yeah, and it's interesting that um, when you see in the text, it says that Abigail was beautiful and intelligent, <laughs> and it's a fascinating. Does it actually? It say actually that. says That's that she was beautiful and intelligent, <laughs> and he didn't listen. Mm-hmm. He, he was so far from listening to his wife and, and using her be- her intelligence in the way that he ought to have used it. He was so far from using it that it would have been f- fruitless for her to have the servants tried to get him to stop, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and do something. And it's like, well, what have I got to do with David? you know? And in the end, Abigail, the intelligent Abigail saved the household. Well, that's interesting. Explain what
1: David said to her and what she said to David when she confronted well, him, because that's companionship. Yeah, I mean that's like a, that's like a perfect illustration of a marriage. Yeah, they, weren't, they weren't married, married yet.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but tell them what. Well, she came to David knowing that her husband wasn't going to do anything. She brought food and she begged him. Not to destroy them, she said, I know he should have done something, but he didn't, I think she actually says this to David. And David said, "Oh, you've done a wonderful thing today because I was going to go slaughter everybody. and and all of that blood would have been on me, and you stopped it from happening. And so he took they took the food and they left, and Abigail went back to Nabal and then and at the appropriate time, she told Nabal, hey, this is what happened. I don't know, I wonder, you wonder what she said, because I don't think the text actually says, hey, do you know that David was on his way to kill you and everybody in the house? <laughs> it, says, it, does say, it says she did not tell him anything at all until uh, the
0: morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, in other words, when he had a hangover, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his wife told him these things and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. Yeah.
2: So he, di- and then he died.
0: And then 10 days later, he died.
1: Yeah. I can imagine women listening to this and saying, my husband is a Nabal. Yeah. And I can imagine men listening to this and saying, my wife is no Abigail. Mm-hmm
0: and so so yeah what do you say to a couple that's in that situation i mean practically well how do you give first of all how do you give them hope
1: and then what are the practical steps i think so much of life is living by faith i'm not sure about that but i think it may be true because the bible says the just shall live by faith (laughs) And what I notice in women that are hard-hearted towards their husband is that often it's just them trying to avoid living by faith, hmm. being vulnerable, having hope. And so there may be people listening who really are married to a Abel, and whose wife is not Abigail. But I wonder how often it's because they're just too hard towards each other. They won't have sex except on a schedule and maybe once a week. Nothing spontaneous. Mm. Life, so, an awful lot of couples in the church live life like that uh, man that was given stewardship over one talent. Yep, that's right. And they resent that God has has redeemed them and mm. that he has uh, commanded them. To bear fruit. Well, not just to bear fruit, but the whole panoply mm-hmm. of obligations a Christian has. Mm-hmm. And they approach all of them stingily. Mm-hmm. He, he never gets their first fruits. Mm-hmm. He only gets what's left over in their hope, in their emotions, in everything. And so I don't want to say that there aren't men who are nables. We have had them in our church. And amazingly, they have regularly been excommunicated. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't want to say that there aren't women who tear their own houses down with their hands. But I think a lot of people who would complain and say, Well, you don't know my wife, are people who have refused to husband their wife from the very beginning. And a lot of the fruit they don't like is fruit they produce by not being a companion and not reading their their manuals or their seminary texts to their wife on the bed at night Mm -hmm. and being excited, which is what I remember in seminary. Mm
2: -hmm. A lot of the times you get so, people would get so bitter in their fighting. And what, you know, to say that there are are Nabals, yes, there are Nabals in the world, Mm -hmm. but... I don't think that's mostly at all what it's not even a a very much of a percentage of what you're dealing with with problems with marriage. Most of the problems with marriage have to do with two people who are just sinners, as we've talked about in the prior podcast, Mm -hmm. The marriage of two people who are just sinners and the process of loving the other. Of starting with yourself and identifying yourself as the problem before you just yep. immediately yep. shift to, oh, you're the problem. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. First, I'm the problem. Mm-hmm. I'm the problem. And and that simple act on both sides, either side de-escalates. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the guy that was that you were thinking, ah, Nabal, you know, that guy is actually, oh, I see that I'm kind of a something and maybe not quite an Abigail. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not quite what I am as an Abigail. And then and then he comes back and he, after you actually deescalate, he comes back and he says, Well, you know, I've been kind of a Nabal. I've kind of been kind of an idiot. Yeah. You know. And then back and forth and back and forth and pretty soon you start to see yourself yourselves in a very different light, in the light of mercy, in the light of Forgiveness in the light of your standing before God needing his forgiveness constantly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can go on to do things. You have a context to do things because you're not bitter at the other yeah, all the time, blaming the other all the time for what's going on. You know, listening to you say that, I wonder how often do you say
1: you're sorry to your wife and ask for her forgiveness, the two of you? Or how often does she do it? Now, I don't want you to specify which is which, but how often is the currency of communication in your home, the currency of forgiveness and
2: asking and receiving forgiveness? For me, I would say on the one hand, it seems way too often because there's that much need of it. (laughs) How often? (laughs) Oh, it's happening, what, one or the other of us. It's got to be just about every other day. Mm-hmm. There's something. What about for you?
0: Um it's I mean it's pretty regular. Yeah, but how and it often waxes and wanes how too often. I mean, I mm,
1: um, Not as often, right?
0: Not a, not as often. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now,
1: I want to make a point. It's painful to ask that question. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If your marriage is going to get better, it will become more often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's weird, it's counterintuitive. We it think, counterintuitive. remember that Max just said, well, I feel bad about it, but I mean, it's pretty often. <laughs> and it's like, no, you shouldn't feel bad about it. I'm sure with Mary Lee and me, it's normally every other day. I'm just yeah, sure it of seems it. seems like. I'm just yeah. sure of it. And I think that what, what we have to understand as Christians is that as we get older, And mature in our relationships with our pastors and elders and the older women in the church, our relationships with our children, our relationships with our grandchildren, our relationships with our wife and our husband, that we see more how we hurt them, how we failed them, Mm -hmm. and that we tell them more. It is a lie from hell that as the Christian becomes sanctified, he has less to be sorry for.
0: It is a life from hell, that perfectionism
1: and it's the exact opposite mm-hmm. How do you grow in your love for Jesus if, as your life goes by, you need him less? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's talk about practical
0: things. You mentioned, Tim, some practical things that couples can do in the chapter can Can we talk about some of those reading together? Having a habit of picking a book. And actually Hannah and I so we're we're doing some premarital counseling right now. We had a good laugh last night. Occasionally Hannah and I will try to pick like, you know, a theological book or something about marriage to read up on what the, the current, you know, marriage book is or something. And inevitably we abandon it and read PG Woodhouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm but yeah i think i just i think it's a great habit Uh, that's what my mom and dad did (laughs) do you think that watching tv shows has the same effect or not really
1: mary lee and i do that Uh, we subscribe to acorn and brit box because it's just there's almost nothing in america that we want to watch other Mm. than sports i do watch sports yeah it is not nearly as helpful in developing companionship, not nearly, and that's because watching something on a screen, uh, very passive, I it's mean. extremely yeah. passive, yeah. and you can't stop and talk about it, right? Because if you want to, she doesn't, or if she wants to, you don't, you know. Yeah, and so, no, I don't think that watching things together, I know that's what most people in the church do, is their form of shared time together, but sports is much better because you can actually talk about the personnel involved the coaching the risk factors soccer's nice because there are no commercials at all and no cheerleaders yeah so i don't know i i'm not
2: i'm skeptical of of that what else sometimes you you might actually just do a project together mm. and i <laughs> i it's and
1: it <laughs> what be are you laughing about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it, <laughs> it'll be
2: bonding.
0: <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> yes, it, feels
2: it will. So good when you. Uh, but you stop. might <clears throat> you might find you might find that uh, that you agree on at least one out of ten things yeah, in the project. Yeah. But even if you disagree, you can find a way. It's mm. like, for instance, my wife likes a certain kind of flower, which I grow for her. Try to grow for her zinnias, and. I don't like the same colors of zinnias that my wife likes. Yeah. And so it's, I always put in some for me,
0: <laughs>
2: but yeah. for her, the, the ones that she likes, that's what I want to get mostly because that's the mm-hmm. color she mm-hmm. likes. And then we go out and we work, we have some raised beds. And so we go out and we work together and putz around in the raised beds mm-hmm. and it doesn't bring out good conversation. The thing, and we sometimes do puzzles too oh, for yeah. fun because yeah. you can talk while you do a puzzle. Sure. But the thing that it, walks. about yeah, taking walks are good because then you you don't need to be thinking about your steps so much, as, and you can have conversation. Right. But another good thing is if you're reading something, you don't have to read it with them. Mm. Find something that you're reading, the thing that really smacked you in the mm-hmm, face mm-hmm. and then just, hey, listen to this. Check this, this out, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we do this with other people. Hey, sure. here's an idea. Let's mm-hmm. do this with our spouse, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so you read that to them and, and then they say, well, why does that matter to you? Mm-hmm. And you say, well, yeah, but don't you understand? da 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 And then they say, oh, you're not very deep. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. They look at you and they say, oh, okay, I see what you're trying to say. Yeah, and yeah. then they can enjoy that thing. Yeah, And it's a start. If you're not reading some long thing together, but you're reading something to them that you're reading. Well, you know, I
1: hesitate to do this, but I want to be very firm in saying nobody reads anymore. Nobody reads. It may be that we read the same number of words as our ancestors did, but what we read is absolutely worthless. It does not matter what your sister or your cousin or your college friend says on Facebook. And I do Facebook all the time, but I only do it so that some of what people consume during a day is actually going to be wisdom and helpful. That's the only reason I do it. And, Lucas, you've told me so Is my son. Forget Facebook. Forget Twitter. But I know that our people are on Facebook and Twitter. I know it. And so I just want to have some place they go that's going to be helpful. And so when we talk about reading, I imagine a lot of you are depressed and feel guilty. Our point is not to make you feel guilty. And what I always try to tell people about reading is, if you don't read, and specifically people who are dead, or Tim Bailey, because I write (laughs) what dead people wrote. I don't write for any consumption by People who have been flattered today. I yeah. just don't. No, none of those people read anything I write. You have to read people who are countercultural. Yeah, that's right. And a good way of doing that is reading dead people. If you read people who are countercultural and dead, like for instance, right now I'm reading Between Two Millstones by Solzhenitsyn. He's been a joy to me. And to read him about journalists and the press revivifies me. <laughs> it makes me come alive because he hates them with a perfect hatred and gives illustration after illustration after illustration of what we suffer all the time today, which is they lie and they lie and they lie and they're not stupid. Yeah. It's intentional. Mm-hmm, all right. Mm-hmm. And so when you read a guy who comes over to the United States back in what, 1973, Or 74, he goes up to Vermont, buys land. That's where I am right now in the book. And when you read him talking about the press in Paris, the press in Switzerland, the press in Canada, the press in the U.S., you know, you read him talking about what he said and then what they report Hmm. him as saying and why he believes that they reported him and how he fights them. Yeah. Now, think about this. Is that not encouraging to read a dead man who was a great prophet to the Western world against our materialism. Is that not helpful? All right? Now, I use that as an illustration because that's what I'm currently reading. But I'm saying, we're saying, all three of us are saying, read. And the thing that's really depressing to me is to see that the people in the church no longer know their Bibles. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, and they'll say, well, I, I try to read my Bible. But I can tell I'm your pastor. I know you don't read the Bible because you don't know the Bible. And I know even when you read it, and I said this to one of the professors in our church this last week, you're always judging what you read. You're always looking down on the words of God and thinking how they're wrong. And I said to him, and so when it gets to the point where it says to you, that is sin you repent your posture has been judging scripture all the time and so when you need to listen to it because it addresses your own sin mm. your posture isn't listening and submitting to it and so when we talk about reading and we talk about woodhouse i would love you for you to read woodhouse like Hannah and Lucas do because if you read Woodhouse you will read dead people and you will read scripture because nobody who reads Woodhouse and loves him is avoiding reading scripture all right and, and listen, it's true. Now, a woman that reads romance novels, no, 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 she doesn't read scripture. Yeah. And they may say, well, that's just like Woodhouse. And I say, <laughs> ah, there may be an argument able to be made there, you know. <clears throat> but you have to read people. We have always been the people of the book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word. God said, let there be light, and there was light.
0: Well, and if you haven't been reading, what a great thing to do in your marriage to say to your wife let's read something together to work on this together Mm -hmm. i mean that's
1: read this book coming out on marriage yeah i never talk about getting you to read the books that we've done here but you really should read them if you want to know the weaknesses of your marriage and how to help them and and what goals you should have it's going to come out in what the next week or two hope so yeah, we hope so. <laughs> I actually held a copy in my hand at yeah, Presbyterian yeah. meeting this last Saturday.
0: Pretty exciting. Yeah, it was really exciting. <laughs> but reading together, um, you know, you mentioned in the chapter, Tim, uh, having a hobby uh, that you guys could
1: work on yeah, together. Yeah, so zinnias. Zinnias, Raised for beds. sure.
0: The other thing I, I thought was, it was good, um, it, actually, you know, our churches have a lot of – Kids, families with lots of kids, and so it is natural for husbands and wives to talk about their kids on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. That's not a bad thing. It's it's a it's a good thing. It will draw you together. Mm You you're going to have to go through some fights, but talking about the kids is not a failure. It's exactly. It's totally on mission, Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily always fun. uh, But you do need to find things that are fun to talk about. But it will draw you together, and it's a good thing to talk about. So,
2: well, and. And how often are our kids fun? Yeah, it's true. And oh, they I'm they sure. create they create fun as you watch them. Yes, and they, they do things. <laughs> they just do things that are funny. You know, I I, I pulled a, a flower out of a a bouquet uh, in our house yesterday, <laughs> and my little granddaughter, who's just learned to walk, is so proud of this flower. And it's a it's a yellow rose that's just like wilted to the point and she's walking around you know how a newly walking child totters and so her arm is holding this big long stem that's about as long as she is and she's swinging it and swinging it and the petals are just flying all over (laughs) and she has to go show her grandmother this flower well by the time her aunt gets in the house there aren't any petals left on the Uh. flower and so she comes and proudly shows this Uh. this completely (laughs) petal free rose stem to her aunt and like it's this this glorious beautiful thing. beautiful thing and it's nothing but it's it's hilarious and it's joyful and it's of kids this this morning yeah. wow
0: this morning uh elias says some funny things when he's half asleep but uh, so elias is four years old uh, hannah went into the room and elias she turns on the light and tells the boys to get up and And Eli says, Mama, I was going to get up, but then you turned the light on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's every morning, isn't it? He's also the one that said,
0: oh, no, the light... <laughs> he said that like a year ago.
1: <laughs> and he's got this really long, wavy,
2: curly hair. Yeah, yep. the women refuse so to cut cute. it. cute. <laughs> Again, so <laughs> children are nothing to talk about, or yeah. they're always depressing to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just constantly our children yeah, can be but a listen, delight to us. Listen, and if you
1: work. will not receive the blessings God gives you, and if you resent them, then mm-hmm. children won't be a delight to you so yep. if you resent that your wife wanted another child and you have to work to provide for another child you're the kind of man who is red pill migtel uh you're the kind of man that you'll divorce or when you're 60 or i don't know
0: yeah but when the kids are gone you
1: guys have to realize you're setting a trajectory and my father used to say We all get old the way we live. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if you resent the children or you resent your wife's desire for intimacy with you, I know what you're going to be like when you're an old man.
0: Well, you said it earlier. Time and truth walk hand in hand. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. It'll out. So in the end, God did not create men and women to have a battle of the sexes. Right. He said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And he made. Uh, Adam, a companion. And this is, as you said earlier, Tim, this is Christian marriage. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Correll. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.